Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones, and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. And welcome to episode four of the Films I Love Most podcast. Welcome back. I am your host, Keith, of course, back for another dose of movie madness. And my goodness, has it been movie madness this week? Because we've had the San Diego Comic Con. So I'm going to be coming up very shortly with some movie news that has emerged from this year's Comic Con over in the States. Um, Some very, very, very exciting things going on. And yeah, and of course we have reviews, we have film I love most, we have film found for a pound, it's all coming up very soon, you lucky, lucky people. It's time for letters. Yes, thank you very much for your correspondence this week. It's been amazing. A lot of you are talking about a lot of interesting things. So I'm going to have a look. I'm going to have to go onto Facebook for this one. Oh my goodness me. I cannot work technology for the life of me. So I asked you all what you thought about the um, Cats trailer on Facebook. And I asked for your thoughts. And you sent me your thoughts. And some of them were quite funny, actually. I don't think many of you were impressed, but let's go for it. So this is a sort of bit of a segue into movie news. I was going to talk about the uh, the Catch trailer as well and what I thought. But let's hear what you think first. So um, Lucy, bit weird looking. Isabella, CGI was a bit weird, but I'm definitely going to watch it 100%. Uh, Laura Foreman, puke face. And then she says, I understand getting names in, but that many, James Corden, Jason Derulo and Rebel Wilson, they'll be a secret cameo from Russell Crowe somewhere. Um, and we, they trusted Tom Hooper again. I think she's referring to the fact that, um, I don't think she's a fan of the Les Mis film. Um, Russell Crowe, obviously totally miscast as Javert. Uh, Steve, potentially a catastrophe. <laughs> um, Susie, I'm actually buzzing for this. Uh, nice. Interesting. Emily, I love cats. Um, I don't know if she's just making a statement about the animal or the musical, but I love cats and I love Ian McKellen, but this looks cringy. Hmm, interesting. Um, I would rather slap myself with a flip-flop ten times than watch this. That's from Anna. Please don't do that. I mean, what a silly way to have to go to A&E. How can I help you, madam? Yes, I've slapped myself ten times with a flip-flop. After being forced to go and watch the Cats movie. Um, not a good idea. So, yeah, there we go. That is what you are thinking of the trailer. Um, my thoughts on the trailer. Well, 
It's an odd one because I can see what they're trying to do and they're trying to push the technology forward and it looks beautiful. I think it's going to, you know, the dancing especially, I think the creative arts are going to look great in the film. But it is weird they haven't made them more cat-like. But that is how they look in the show. So I suppose they're just trying to please, you know, the audience of who love the musical and also trying to please, you know, people that are going to go to it for the first time. It does look odd. I think Judy Dench looks a little bit scary if I'm honest. And um, there are some moments in the trailer I just think, oh, that's a very, very strange creative choice there. But you can't judge it until you've watched it. You never know. When the film comes out, they might have tweaked it a little bit or it might look a bit better or it might be look finished. And um, we might get something very special, which I'm hoping for. Um, Cats is going to be released in December very quick message that was sent to me on Facebook. Dear Keith, very much enjoyed your interview last week with Mr. Heathcote. Any chance there are any interviews coming up? Well, I don't know because, you know, everybody's working. It's very difficult to get like hold of people and get them to commit to doing an interview because, you know, it's, um, it's working around schedules. But I will say that I am going to be very closely connected with the London Film Festival this year. So fingers crossed I might be able to have a chat with a couple of people at least. Um, and of course got Fright Fest coming up and something else to tell you, um, I'm going to an event on Friday which I will tell you about later. <laughs> Movie news, movie news. Now it's time for movie news. Like, I really seriously need someone to write those jingles for me. I've got lots of musician friends out there, musician friends that actually listen to the podcast. So um, if any of you want to do a couple of jingles for me, I'd be most grateful. I will pay you in love. Um, yes, so movie news this week. We've already spoken about the Catch trailer, but now we're going to go on to Marvel. So Marvel have a huge, huge slate for uh, phase four of the marvel universe um we've got black widow at last the black widow movie can't wait for that eternals that's gonna be fantastic the cast is looking great led by angelina jolie at the moment we've got da -da -da -da, we've got shang chi which i don't know much about i've not really had much to do with that uh, character, so I'm not very clued up on it. I obviously have read some of the, uh, you know, background on Wikipedia, but apart from that, I don't know much about that character, so I'm very much looking forward to it. That is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness very much reminded me of the John Carpenter title In the Mouth of Madness, which is one of my favourite, favourite horror movies of all time. Very meta, Sam Neill, John Carpenter, where can you go wrong? Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to team up um, Scarlet Witch with Doctor Strange. And yeah, I can't wait for that. I think that's going to be amazing. I think the title itself uh, lends itself to quite a um, roller coaster ride of a movie. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, for Love and Thunder, Ooh, Natalie Portman returning to play um four yeah um i know that sounds a bit strange but she is coming back to play the female version of thor which is going to be incredible uh i don't know much about that character but 
I'm very much looking forward to it. And then the surprise, which I think that nobody expected, was Blade. So they're making Blade and they're bringing it into the Marvel Universe, which is going to be very interesting because I'm wondering if Blade in the Marvel Universe is going to be, you know, sort of R-rated, 18. Is it going to be as graphic? Is it going to be, you know, as dark as those old films or the source material? Um, Herschela Ali is playing Blade, which I think is an amazing choice because he is a fantastic, fantastic actor. Obviously a um, Oscar winner as well. So, yeah, how exciting is that for the Marvel Universe? And not to forgetting, not to forget, of course, that we also have the TV shows. So we've got uh, WandaVision, which I think is going to be, I mean, it's, it's the worst title for a film, for a TV show, sorry, but. I'm looking forward to it. Loki TV show featuring Tom Hiddleston. It's going to be incredible. Hawkeye, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm really looking forward to that. But I think what I'm most looking forward to is What If. Because, you know, to have a... I mean, it's going to be an animated um, TV show. But it's basically going to go into um, the What If universe of Marvel characters. So what if um, Thor never got his hammer what if, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's loads of them. They could do, they could go on forever. You know, what if, um, you know, Dr. Banner was actually an evil genius rather than, you know, a guy trying to do good, you know, things like that. I can't wait for that. It's going to be brilliant. Thank you very much, Marvel, for releasing, you know, these treats for us. I can't wait to see and watch them. Very excited. From the day we arrived on the planet And blinking stepped into I'm sorry guys, uh, we're going to have to stop there If I go any further then I'm going to have to pay copyright to Elton John And to be honest with you, I saw Rocketman three times So, do you know what Elton? You've had enough from me. You've had enough. Hello and welcome back to reviews. Um, I think you're probably all wondering what film am I going to be reviewing this week? Hmm, I wonder. A wimble, a wimble, a wimble, a wimble. I am going to be reviewing The Lion King, of course. Um, here's a clip. one day. I'm gonna get one. I don't know why it's so important to you. I just feel like it would make me feel better. <gasps> oh no, it's a little lion. That is not a lion. Well then go check it out. What is that it? That is not a lion. It's a furry bird. It looks like a lion. Yeah, that's not a lion. Let me get a closer look. Excuse me. Oh, all right, let me see what we're dealing with here. It's a lion. Run for your life. It's a little lion. It gets bigger. Can we keep him? Can we please keep him? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I promise. I'll walk him every day. If he makes a little mess, I'll clean it up. You'll I'll be, be his little mess. He's going to eat you and then use my body as a toothpick. But one day, when he's big and strong, he'll be on our side. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out. 
Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Well, then, can we keep him? Yes, of course we can keep him. Well, My God, who is the brains of this operation? We're gonna name him Fred. So I went into The Lion King with actually quite high expectations because I had really enjoyed The Jungle Book. I thought it was a very faithful adaptation. I thought the effects and CGI were incredible. I thought the, the way they um, got the movements and the characters of the animals was impressive and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So when I heard that John Favreau was making The Lion King, of course I was excited and and um you know, it was, I got this sort of very excited feeling in my chest thinking one of my favourite movies as a child was going to be reimagined and the story was going to be retold for, you know, children of um, the new generation because not many kids actually like to go back and watch those 2D movies, you know, those sort of animated uh, Disney classics. I know that we all think that they should be held in such high you know, esteem, but unfortunately, not many kids like watching that sort of animation anymore. They've been spoiled by the the wealth of, you know, animating 3D um, treats from the likes of DreamWorks, like How to Train Your Dragon movies, things like that. So, yeah, when you're going back and watching the original Lion King, I can understand why kids these days might not find it very engaging. But then along comes the Lion King, and yes... Okay, so the plus points for me were, um, you know, the animals, the CGI, the effects looked absolutely incredible. It was beautiful. The opening sequence, I got the uh, goosebumps on the arms during the circle of life. And, you know, I think that's what they're going for. That's what you need. That set up the film very well for me. Um, then the storyline was pretty much a uh, beat to beat um, as the animated film. I wish they'd taken a few more risks with the story, maybe a bit of a background, bringing the female characters maybe forward slightly, having them more prominent. Um, I felt like they missed a trick there. The, you know, it was almost like I was watching the animated version, but just, you know, a version with realistic looking animals and a bigger budget. Um, I struggled with that because I really honestly hope that they just made a few more, um, well, a few different judgments on the story because it was very traditional and the story was pretty much exactly the same. In some scenes, it was a shot-for-shot -shot remake of the animated uh, version. Oh, this was meant to be plus points. Um, Timon and Pumbaa, obviously my favourite characters in the original, my favourite characters here, absolutely fantastic, um, voiced perfectly. I mean, all the voices in the film were adequate I would say Beyonce was slightly off-putting playing Nala um, but I think that you know they carried it off quite well Donald Glover yeah I mean he's no Matthew Broderick but it it sufficed you know he's got a quite a nice singing voice as well I think the things that let the film down I didn't like the character of Scar as much I didn't like the design of the character the look of it I didn't particularly engage very well with that there were some moments when in the fight sequences where they looked quite the same so it was very difficult to sort of see um like differentiate the characters from each other and the color scheme as well it was quite dull and um sepia and it wasn't really engaging uh, you know when the hyenas and scar take over it's meant to look quite different quite gray quite 
you know, there wasn't that much of a difference. I thought the opening of the film, apart from the, the sunrise and the bit when Mufasa gives the speech about, you know, whatever the light touches, um, I thought the, I thought the sort of vision of the film was quite dull. Yes. So, um, all in all, I thought the film was engaging. I think a younger audience would love it. I thought the baby Simba was cute as anything. Oh my goodness, I just wanted to jump in and give him a big cuddle. I thought having um, James L. Jones as the voice of Mufasa again was a really good idea because it sort of gave that familiarity to the film that a lot of us who remember the original needed. It was almost like a connection between the two and it was like putting on a warm you know, lovely dressing gown. It felt very comfortable having his voice as Mufasa. Um, Timon and Pumbaa, again, I will say were my favourite. I thought Seth Rogen as Pumbaa was just hilarious. And some of the alterations that they made to Akuna Matata um, had me in stitches. And my friend who I went with was um, laughing out loud to Timon and Pumbaa's comedy jinx. So, yeah, I've, I would just go and see the film for them. I thought it was they were definitely the standout characters and and were probably the most different to um the characters from the original i think that's probably why i enjoyed them so much because a risk sort of had been taken on them and they were very 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 different uh, i know that some people didn't enjoy the film i know that dan who is a good friend of mine um wrote a message to me about what he thought of it so i saw the film last night this is from dan and i've already forgotten a lot about it the animation and the visuals were breathtakingly beautiful but the film and songs seemed empty to me maybe i wasn't expecting a near shot for shot remake of the beloved original because it was so similar there weren't any stakes or danger the songs didn't really work for me either be prepared should have been cut entirely. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old. You're not getting old, Dan. You're a sprightly young man. Don't put yourself down. Um, I do agree with you. Be prepared was a song that was just felt very out of place because it was more spoken and it had like one chorus and that was it. And it just didn't seem very prominent within the storyline. So get rid of that. Um, Yes, there's a scene at the end when Simba has to return to Pride Rock and there's a new song which has been inserted, which is completely forgettable, very dull. Uh, Beyonce singing it, I think, and um, it didn't fit very well with the scene. What they should have done is used He Lives In You, which is a much better song um, and has a lot more emotion connected to it. Unfortunately, they only use that song in the closing credits, which is a huge shame because it is one of the best songs written for the Lion King franchise having been in the Lion King 2 and the stage musical so huge opportunity miss there um all in all the music's good it's quite similar there's not much risk taken with the music apart from you know the sort of the vocals in Can You Feel The Love Tonight for example there was it was much more um much more of a harmony Sorry about that, I just dropped something. I'm getting very emotional. Can you feel the love tonight? How dare you mess it up? But it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was okay. The music, I actually, you know, thought afterwards, did they need the songs? Did they need the music? I would have said no. I thought the first song that we um, heard, obviously, was Circle of Life. But after that was I Can't Wait to Be King. And it was sung by young Simba. And it just looked a bit odd, if I'm honest. 
um, the movement of the mouths of the CGI animals didn't quite sort of sync up very well with the music and with the lyrics. So it was a little bit off-putting for me. I just think that maybe we could have done without the singing completely. But then it wouldn't be The Lion King without Akuna Matata. So I am going to give The Lion King, and I've thought very hard about this because I know that I have an emotional connection to this film from the original, but I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. Purely because I did enjoy myself. I did love Timon and Pumbaa. I thought the um, CGI effects were amazing. I just think there were some creative decisions that could have been done differently. I.e. the colourscape of the film and some of the songs were not up to scratch. But apart from that, a solid seven. Rawr. Just very quickly going to go over a couple of other films that I saw in the week. I saw Annabelle Comes Home. I mean, that is one young lady that you do not want coming to your house. She's very scary. Um, another instalment of the Annabelle saga, which is connected, obviously, to the Conjuring saga, which is obviously connected to the Nun saga, which is obviously connected to another saga, which I'm sure is going to come out soon because there is a character in Annabelle Comes Home, which I'm pretty certain is going to get a spin-off film um because it's a really good idea if they do so annabelle comes home the idea of um you know it's babysitters it's the uh warren family's babysitters cause some mischief go into the room where all the haunted artifacts are one of them lets annabelle out of the glass cage in which she's imprisoned and then all the artifacts come to life and spirits and ghosts start to attack the um babysitters and it's a very traditional ghost story and i thought it was done very well um yeah, I'm quite a fan of the Conjuring series. I'm not so much a fan of the spin-offs. I thought The Nun was um, as dull as dishwater. Um, I love how Mark Commode described The Nun movie as quiet, 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 none, quiet, 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 none, which um, was very apt. It was a perfect analogy of the movie. Um, I think with Annabelle... Um, comes home what's really clever is that they don't go down the route of jump scares so you think a jump scare is coming and you think oh here we go you know it's going to fit into the formula of quiet 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 ah but it doesn't actually do that it's quite clever it sort of builds up to what you're um when you expect to have a jump scare and it doesn't do it and then it comes later on at a time when you like least expect it so it's actually quite a neat film when it comes to mixing up the formula of a horror movie um the story yeah okay um annabelle is freaky um there's a lot of um stuff in that film which has been done in other films sometimes a lot better but all in all i think it's a it's probably the strongest installment of the annabelle trilogy so far and I'm going to give Annabelle a very, very strong 7.5 because I thoroughly enjoyed it and thought that it did connect very well with the rest of the expanding Conjuring universe. The Dead Don't Die. I was very much looking forward to this film because I love Bill Murray and I was absolutely disappointed by this film in general. The storyline, A Small Town... Um, is affected by 
Oh, I can't really explain it. So, um, the Earth's rotation has changed. This is what I took from it. The Earth's rotation has changed, and the Earth is being affected. Like the um, daylight hours are all mixed up, and weird and strange things are happening. Like pets are going missing, or they're attacking their owners and things like that. But then the weirdest thing that happens is that the dead start to come alive and rise from their graves, which is a very traditional zombie sort of horror trope. Um, it's a comedy. I mean, is it? It's a horror film, but hang on, is it? I'm not quite sure. It, um, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be feeling in this film. Am I supposed to be laughing? Am I supposed to be horrified? Is there some underlining political message? Yes, there is. Did I get it? No. And why didn't I get it? Because I don't understand poli the American politics that much. So therefore, it, the meaning of the film was majorly lost on me. Were there wait, Were there elements of sort of Trump bashing in it? Yes. Did I get it? Yeah, I, I suppose so, but didn't really sort of, you know didn't really dawn on me until I got home that that's what they were trying to do was the film exciting was it dynamic was it you know like a zombie film was it like sort of dawn of the dead no was it slow oh my goodness it was as slow as a zombie with no legs it was so tedious there was I think in some ways maybe that's what the director was trying to do it was trying to frustrate you and trying to sort of you know get you wiggling in your seat not because you were like grossed out by the zombies but because you were just so like come on do something with this movie let's go let's push this story ahead what's happening bill murray's doing nothing um and that definitely happened to me i was sitting there i was squirming in my seat i just felt this is the worst this is just the worst um, there, and it's such a shame because there are elements in the film which are really good. The whole idea of the Earth changing its axis and rotating the other way and weird things happening. And but it was it was just underused. The actors were just not used enough. Um, you know, it was very deadpan comedy, which I think can be done very well if the actors who are doing it are you know funny in themselves. But it just did not work. The ending was atrocious. It broke the fourth wall a couple of times, which I actually thought was quite clever. If it had been in a different movie, if it actually, you know, if I had actually cared that much, but I didn't. So when um, Adam Driver's character at the end of the film says, I know what's going to happen because I've read the script. And you're like, oh, for goodness sake, are you kidding me? This is absolute lazy writing. Um, yeah. So did I enjoy it? No. Would I watch it again? Hell no. You could not get me to the cinema to watch that film again. Do I still love Bill Murray? Yes. Let's just hope when, when he comes back to the Ghostbusters that he'll do a good job with that and redeem himself because the dead don't die. Please, I really hope that this film dies a death. I'm giving the dead don't die one out of ten. Yes, one. Like, I've never done that before. I've always respected like creative decisions and like plot and story and the way the complexities that it takes to make a movie I've always taken that in, into consideration when I've given a film a mark and I'm still I'm doing that now I give it one it's terrible please just die now heading over to a lovely chap who's in the middle of the ocean on a cruise ship. I have no idea what he's doing. I mean, you know, is he on a cruise? Is he on holiday? I don't know. Where are you, Dan? 
Hi Keith! The film I love most is Back to the Future Part 2. From Alan Silvestri's bombastic score to the iconic hoverboard scene in Hill Valley, I just never get bored of it. The scene where Marty McFly travels back to the enchantment under the sea dance without bumping into his past self is pure movie magic. Sure, watching it in adult years, I've noticed the plot holes and the leaps in logic, but I just don't care. It's a film I love the most, and I can't wait to show it to my future kids. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thank you, Dan the Man. Big loves going out to you and your lovely fiance Emma, who are now getting married soon. So congratulations. I'm sending all my love. I'm so sorry I can't be there, but I promise there will be a special little gift in the post for you. Hmm, not giving any clues away. But Back to the Future 2, I mean, it's my favourite also of the trilogy. I mean, Back to the Future 1 is incredible, but Back to the Future 2 is clever. It's clever writing. It's inventive. It's imaginative. Um, you know, it's, it's what a time travel film should be. It's about paradoxes and about you know if you could time travel what would you do and Biff obviously decides that he's going to create a fortune by um, you know using the almanac to work out what sports events to bet on and it's great and then the third film comes along and it's a bit meh but it doesn't matter because it's a classic and Michael J Fox is amazing um, and, and, you know, I did a rewatch of those films with a friend who had never watched Back to the Future before last year. And we didn't actually make it through the third film, but the second film stood up so much. And I can completely understand why it's Dan's favourite film out of the three is definitely mine. <laughs> Hello, film found for a pound, doink. Ugh, someone please write the jingles for me. Um, so film found for a pound this week. So I took inspiration from um, someone's film found for a pound last week for my own choice because I thought, what an amazing find. Um, but films found for a pound. We've got a list here. We've got American Werewolf in London. Whoa, I love that film so much. Um, on DVD for a pound, what a bargain bargain what a bargain um ready player one great well done whoever found that stand by me I'm getting quite a few stand by me's stand by me um what else have we got in the loop perfect love that film peter capaldi in that film is a is an absolute comedy genius well girl with a dragon tattoo for a pound on blu-ray Whoever found that, thank you very much. Sorry, I've only written them down. I should really write the names next to them. I do apologise. But the girl who found the girl, the dragon tattoo, congratulations on finding it for a pound. Um, yes, yeah, so they're all the films that we found this year for a pound. But my choice is going to be... Dun, dun, dun! Blood on Satan's Claw. Yeah, I can, can just tell that you've all heard of it. Blood on Satan's Claw is a British horror movie from, I think, the 1970s. 1971, to be exact. Um, quite low, well, quite low budget. Very low budget. Um, almost, you know, very sort of Wicker Man-y, but it's, also, it's set during the Middle Ages. So when witchcraft was widely believed in, and I think the setting of it is so clever. I mean, it's just that idea of superstition and the mindset of like the townsfolk that sort of allow this evil in the town to become 
prominent because of their beliefs, I think is a really, really clever way into the story. I mean, it's it's pretty ridiculous, this film. Um, the music is irritating. The special effects are pretty much like the special effects of a TV show in those days, sort of Doctor Who, you know, rubber monster sort of effects. But there is something deeply, deeply creepy about it. There is a scene of sexual violence in the film, which I always fast forward. I've only seen the film like three times, but I fast forward it every time because it's just too much for me. I do not like sexual violence in movies. Um, But it's brave, you know, and it's horrific. And, you know, it's not scared to use children to channel its more horrific sort of ideas, which is very clever you know and, and that was obviously adopted later on with uh, movies like the omen uh, adopted being the the word i'm sorry excuse the pun um you'll get that if you know the omen so to find it on blu-ray for a pound is very good and it is a classic i know for a fact that mark gatiss and reese shearsmith like cover this movie and i'm not quite sure why it's not the best sort of genre movie of its time but it is you know it is sort of groundbreaking and it is a clever piece of storytelling i know for a fact that mark gatiss and reese shearsmith did an audio version for audible so if you're interested in hearing an audible version of the blood on the student's claw then um you can from audible now but um yeah i'm gonna give it oh geez it's so difficult because it's like as a film i don't like it but as a series of ideas and sort of an um pushing forward the genre i do so as a film i'd give it six but as an idea i'd probably give it eight because it you know a lot of films came after it and if it wasn't for this movie i don't believe there would have been films like the wicker man so thank you very much the blood and satan's claw this is my film found for a pound of the week just to let you know that i will be at london film and comic con on friday this friday coming up so if you want to come and say hello to me please do i will be walking around no doubt wearing my stranger things t-shirt and looking for celebrities to chat to so if you want to come and chat to me please do i'd be very 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 welcoming if you wanted to come and speak to me about movies about tv shows talk to me about comic con who you've seen who's the nicest person who would probably grant me an interview um yeah so if you want to come and have a chat please do you are more than welcome it'd be lovely to speak to you and if i just randomly walk up to you and start talking to you please you know don't call the police just try and accommodate me i'm a nice guy That is all you are getting from me this week, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in to episode four of the Films I Love Most podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Join me next week when we will be looking at what films will be shown at this year's Fright Fest, which I will be attending. So, have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye.